Faith Matters Podcast. I'm your host, John Morgan. Welcome to the uh, podcast for the Evangelical Chapter of the Foundation for Religious Diplomacy. My name is John Moorhead. I'm the custodian of the chapter. And uh, we're privileged today to have two guests, an evangelical, Paul Lewis Metzger, and a Buddhist, Kyogen Carlson. And uh, they're going to talk about uh, their relationship, and we're going to be uh, benefited by listening to this conversation today. Um, I'd like to start by uh, you two folks uh, inter- saying a little bit about yourselves. Uh, Paul, uh, what do you do beyond your work with the Evangelical Chapter of the Foundation for Religious Diplomacy. Uh, thank you, John, and it's great to be here with you and Kogan, uh, both of you being dear friends of mine, and so it's just always a delight to dialogue with the two of you. Uh, so, uh, uh, John and Kogan uh, and those listening, uh, uh, I'm professor of Christian Theology, Theology of Culture at uh, Multnomah Biblical Seminary and Multnomah University in Portland, Oregon. I direct the Institute for the Theology of Culture, uh, New Wine, New Wineskins, which is, uh, has as a tagline, bearing witness to Christ in contemporary culture. And one of the fundamental uh, positive concerns we have at New Wine is how to engage in a Christ-centered, biblically-based way uh, our multi-faith world with uh, uh, charity in spirit, uh, biblical conviction, and Christ-centered compassion. Uh, and so, uh, as we'll get into it, one of the uh, most precious relationships we've had at New Line is our work with Kilgan and the Dharma Rain Zen Center. Uh, we consider them dear friends and colleagues uh, in terms of engagement on this very theme of multi-faith society. So I could go on and on, but I'll, I'll leave it there for now. <laughs> That's great. Kilgan, uh You were involved with FRD as well, the custodian of the Buddhist chapter, but can you tell listeners a little bit more about your background? Yes, I am a Soto Zen priest. Um, I was trained in a monastery in Northern California. I was in monastic practice for 10 years, then became the the resident priest at the Portland Temple. Uh, We're now an independent Zen temple, uh, but actively engaged with other Zen communities and other Buddhist communities around the country and around the world. Uh, and uh, that's primary, primarily my work, um, just all the things that go along with that. It's a full-time job. And uh, right now we are building a new campus, which is all-consuming. Uh, so that takes up my time. And then working with Paul, who is, I also consider to be a very dear friend. Um, I, was, uh, I gave a talk just uh, last Sunday, um, and I, I found myself saying, Coming back to my relationship with conservative evangelicals, it seems to pepper almost all of the talks I give. There's something that has informed me about the relationship and um, that uh, it's been important. And so I keep coming back to it on a regular basis. Good, good. I hope we can help readers understand a little bit more about that as we unpack it. Now, what impressed me is – yeah, go ahead. uh, uh, It's uh, really striking that where Kilgan's new temple community is, it's just right down – the road from where uh, Multnomah is, so we're increasingly neighbors. Uh, so it's, uh, 
closer. You're moving closer to each other, more ways than one. Uh, I, I was uh, impressed. I had the opportunity a while back to come out to Portland and spend some time with Kyogen as well as you, Paul, and, and to hear from Kyogen a little bit about his perceptions of evangelicals before you two met. And it's just a fascinating story. But, Paul, let's start with you. What was your understanding of Buddhism and Buddhists prior to your relationship with Kyogen, and uh, how did you two come to connect with each other? Great. Uh, uh, great questions and uh, reflections. Uh, well, uh, my first real profound exposure to Buddhism would have come in Japan. My wife, Mariko, uh, uh, is uh, a native of, J- native of Japan. She's a citizen of Japan. So we've been in America, uh, you know, for the majority of our married lives. But uh, we had opportunity to live in Japan. I just came back from six weeks in Japan, had further interaction with the priest under whom I studied Buddhism back in the 90s. Uh, and so uh, my first exposure to Buddhism was in Japan. And I continued to study Buddhism over the years, uh, where it's just been uh, sort of where I continue to learn and learn and learn. Uh, and as we'll get into it, I, I believe that I'm even able to understand more my own Christian faith uh, in terms of the uh, comparisons and contrasts with such uh, a long-standing tradition of Buddhism and its various schools of thought. So it originally started there. Um, and then, uh, well, we'll come to our own personal narratives uh, in terms of our own interaction with Dogenomese in a little bit. Uh, after doctoral studies, I've already been in Japan, moved to the Portland area, and uh, it was in around 2003, Kyogen, I think, that we were working together. We were part of a group. We had never met each other, but we were part of a, uh, an initiative bound up with the shooting of an African-American woman in Portland by a white police officer. And uh, there was a, a national organization that was brought in to try and bring some kind of understanding and even healing that would involve the police department, the police union, uh, various religious traditions, uh, people of diverse ethnicities. So Kilgan and I were part of the same group, uh, the same subgroup. And uh, one of the things that we'll probably have opportunity to discuss is our own methodologies and how we engage even the subject matter of multi-faith. And I think it was striking to us how, for all our differences from one another, uh, we had some shared methodology, I think, in terms mm-hmm. of how Hilgen is a Zen priest in his eyes, an evangelical Christian, approached some of the issues we were dealing with, even involving multi-faith concerns. So that was part of it. And then um, went off to do uh, postdoctoral work uh, at the Center of Theological Inquiry in Princeton. And I still remember when I was there, it was in 2004, uh, Multnomah uh, County was coming up in the news quite a bit nationally, and it was New York Times, Multnomah County, and people said, and Princeton, oh, so is that Multnomah University, is that Multnomah region? So I said, that's the county. What we were dealing with was the issue of such things as gay marriage and what was going on in uh, the courts and what was going on in Portland and Oregon and some of the culture war issues that were developing between such communities as Buddhists and evangelicals, at least from afar, we weren't having many exchanges except through the airwaves, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And Kogan asked me, since we'd already known each other, could we dialogue further and try and build some understanding to move beyond the culture war rhetoric on the airwaves and the like, come together when I got back and we worked together on uh, these 
various issues that we're discussing even today to try and build understanding, to get at a more compassionate view of evangelical Christianity, a deeper understanding of Buddhism and the like, and also maybe other cultural dynamics that we both represent. And so uh, while I had not had exposure to Buddhism in the American context at any great length prior to my uh, uh, developing interaction and relationship with Dogen and Dharma Rain Zen Center, uh, uh, that really helped to cultivate more of my understanding. It's enriched our own community, and it's really enriched my own uh, personal life. And again, we'll probably have opportunity to discuss further what that might have, or what that might look like, and what that is. Okay. I hope that helps. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that, Kilgan. Uh, the same kind of question uh, for you. I know you had some concerns about evangelicals as you understood them before your relationship with Paul. Can, can you share some of that? What was it like before you met Paul, and, and how has that changed this, through the course of your relationship? Well, I was just thinking about that recently, that um, I really didn't have much of an understanding of uh, where evangelicals fit in the, the landscape of Christianity uh, and in the, the you know American culture. I knew Christians. As, I was raised as a Christian scientist, so it was kind of a quasi-Christian background, sort of new thought mm-hmm. type of Christianity. Um, but, you know, the, the general landscape of Protestant and Catholic is what I understood. Um, and I didn't really encounter evangelicals in a, you know, in a direct personal way until I was at Berkeley. There was a, uh, an evangelical street preacher on, at Berkeley named uh, Hubert who was a kind of a beloved figure, and it was a, it was a very genial back and forth. He would call us all miserable sinners, but he would smile when he said that. <laughs> and uh, we would, uh, you know, people would kind of tease him back. And he would have been a fixture um, in the area for quite a long time, and suddenly it changed. There were these uh, younger, very aggressive and angry um, preachers, street preachers that turned up. There's, I guess, the beginning of the Jesus movement, I suppose, but there was something different had changed. And I had that in-your-face evangelical um, or fundamentalist or whatever it is, that aggressive um, tactic, which I'd never encountered before. So that set me back on my heels quite a bit. Um, and then I'd heard from others that uh, uh, experiences within our community that were raised in, 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 uh, in ways that, that had that aggressive edge to it. So that was basically what I understood about it. I didn't. That was my only contact with it. That's. I think what happens is that the the louder and more aggressive voices on any side are the ones you encounter first, which is unfortunate. So. Um, that was kind of the background for me. I hadn't didn't give it much thought after that. But then in the, um, I guess it was in the context of the uh, uh, national politics of the 90s and, and early 2000s, where it became much more of a nationally, uh, a national movement and a uh, political movement, which I found myself at odds with a fair bit. Um, and it was in that context that. Um, I reached out to Paul because uh, I want to mention that in our the dialogue circle that we were in together in this uh, community project, uh, there were all kinds of views, and Paul and I were quite different in our perspectives, but I found him the most um, engaged in listening and the most engaged in um, trying to understand and connect, whereas people had their agendas, and Paul seems to so his agenda seemed mostly to understand and be understood, uh, which you know is something that I've had uh, a desire to have the difficult conversations on a civic uh, level for quite a while and found it difficult to do. 
and we both shared this experience of like-minded people getting together and patting each other on the back, but to reach across the divides where the difficult questions are and to make um, really um, reasonable approaches um, across those divides was seemed to be hard to do. And I thought, this is someone I can I can uh, reach out to to try to do this. There was some uh, disturbance in uh, and uh, concern within our community at one point, and I thought it would be really good if, if uh, they could see what I saw, which is why I invited Paul to come and, and address our community. And we started out with a smaller subset of our community, the more senior students, the more uh, committed people, and we had a potluck. Uh, and that changed everything. I mean, just to be together and be reasonable, as uh, Paul brought his graduate students from the, the seminary, and um, it was just a very uh, engaging evening, and that was the first uh, the first door that we walked through together. And then later, Paul invited me to address his graduate students at the seminary, which I did. And I thought, I'm going to talk about some of these difficult subjects. And I found uh, when that my hand extended a little bit, not in defense, but to say, you know, we've had we've made our mistakes on our side too. I um, I confess those mistakes to you. Um, and um, I think we, we overstate some of the, our case in various things, um, yet I still feel I still fall on this side on this issue or that. But um, as soon as I opened the door, it, uh, the people came to meet me, and uh, that, was, that was a very uh, affirming experience. So would it be fair to characterize your, your, both, the approach of both of your interests and your approach that um, not much – in, many times in interfaith, there's a, a focus on commonality, common ground. In fact, there's very little interest in talking about difference. Um, and yet, you've wanted to come together in uh, diplomatic ways, in civil ways, and not only talk about commonality, but you recognize there were real issues there that needed to be explored, and you didn't shy away from that. Would that be a fair way to characterize the two of you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, Paul, Paul's way of putting it is to, to speak through our convictions, and uh, uh, and I think I would I would agree with that completely. Um, what would you say, Paul? Right, I, I think it, it's further to what Sheldon was saying a minute ago, where it's so easy to bring like-minded people together, and while there's a place for that, uh, mm -hmm. we often call that um, you know some kind of ecumenical and interfaith discourse, but it's not bringing together. Always parties, and much of the time parties, they actually have radically different views from one another, and to try and engage in very concrete or charitable terms, even the differences, not the similarities alone. And that's something that I think I could say for Sylvia and myself, which is certainly true as you, John, in your own work at FRD, that's a key part, it's central to FRD's work, the Foundation for Religious Diplomacy's work. And uh, so as Kilby just alluded to a minute ago, uh, I believe we both been at this from the vantage point. And I go into this in my world religions course all the time to go through our convictions, not around them, and nor to stop short of them. I find that uh, at times, in my experience, uh, those in my circles, if people don't put it crudely, just convert to Christ, we won't listen to them. So we will only listen once you convert. Uh, where, you know, listening is a form of love. You know, and I think Sylvia was getting at that before, and we'll probably come back to it that uh, there has to be that desire to hear the other, the religious other in this case. So to stop short of one's convictions and say, you've got to reach out, you've got to come over to this side, is really problematic. It doesn't reflect 
the best trajectories of our respective traditions. Um, on the other hand, and I see this at times in more liberal circles, to go around our convictions and leave our respective convictions at the door to find some kind of neutral ground. And neutral ground is never really neutral. It's just it's, it's some other thing, uh, close, if you will. And so we've always talked about going through our convictions and studying with that first potluck. Gilgan uh, is the one who initiated this. Uh, and it wasn't easy for him. I was just talking about what he did yesterday. And, you know, Hugh and I don't always pat one another in the back. We, we, we've gotten into some challenging conversations, too, but it's always been from the context of trust and friendship. But I, I said, you know, it wasn't easy for Gilgan on a number of occasions, in my estimation, uh, to, to even bring someone like myself into his uh, community. In the sense that, you know, evangelicals often talk in the consumerist culture of giving units. Uh, many of Kogan's own giving units in his parish community might not have liked having an evangelical Christian show up, but we can't get rid of them in the culture at large and not bringing them into our own community. That's got to be a challenge. And to listen to them in the midst of pain, sometimes caused by them, that's hard. So to deal with it from the vantage point of going through our convictions, that potluck was key, and that really initiated a series of potlucks. Instead of hiding religion and politics from the table, we dealt with religion and politics. We can't separate them from the table because there was a level of trust that was created so we could go through our convictions, and the relationships that we were fostering made possible tough conversations and uh, and at equal level because we're all sitting down at table together. And I think that's been key for our own ongoing dialogue, the trust that's been built in our communities. And I would only hope that that would be something that could be extended elsewhere relationally uh, in similar ways. Well, there's been mention of uh, potluck. And uh, talk a little bit about that, if you two would, the, the significance of that type of event, hospitality, bringing two different religious communities together around something like that. And what other kinds of activities have you pursued over the years that has helped develop your relationship and the relationships between those uh, in your religious communities? Well, I think the, the potlucks that we that ensued after this were uh, designed to, to, to go in a progression. In fact, there's, we're starting to organize another set um, where – it was originally members from uh, Dharma Rain Zen Center and members of the uh, Multnomah general community uh, would agree to meet once a month, I believe, on a particular evening for a potluck, either at our temple or over at Multnomah. And the first year or two, that's the way we did it. Um, and then we would arrange for a central question uh, that people would want to address. It might be something like, how do you arrive at your convictions? What is the process by which you arrive at this decision? Uh, or sometimes it was more about the faith journey itself. Uh, what do you do if you have a question with what your faith tra tradition is telling you? Uh, how do you resolve that? What challenges have you had? How have you worked through your challenges and has it made you stronger? Things, things of that nature. And people told their personal stories about how um, how they relate to their their faith system, their, their faith uh, view. Um, and this was, this is very, um, uh, you know, this is a very profound thing to hear somebody really tell in a very personal way how they come to that position that they hold. And when you're across the table from you and you've just shared a meal with them, 
you cannot dismiss their perspective at all. You, it, it, it suddenly it's very warm and close, and um, there's there's something that's that's transformative about that. It's you might not agree anymore, but you might have understanding about what it means to the other person and why it's important, um, and as some understanding of how it works in their lives. Those types of things uh, humanize these positions rather than um, bumper sticker label them, which is one of the things I just have a thing about bumper stickers. <laughs> they just they just label other people's perspectives too often, and I you know, and this is the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Paul, well, further to what Dogen's saying, John, uh, and you know it relates centrally to what uh, he was saying. Uh, it, you know, seeing people in terms of their context, their stories. Uh, you know, one individual from the Buddhist community, we had worked uh, for close to a year. We received a grant uh, to work through our accrediting body for seminaries in North America, ATS. We had received a grant to work with Dharma Ring Zen Centers, Zen Center, where we would deal with these uh, potlucks and deal with these divisive issues, such as doctrine, Jesus, uh, his claims, uh, you know, for example, uh, the, the way, the truth, and the light, uh, you know, the kind of exclusivity, so that the deity, um, those particular things, same-sex marriage, uh, abortion, uh, we didn't shy away, heaven and hell, we dealt with all of those issues. Uh, War, death those, penalty. Yeah, yeah uh, all the elephants in the room. Uh, we tried to engage, but in a context where we were trying to build trust, and it was interesting because uh, some of the Buddhists, some of whom I'd even known from before, uh, I think because of Kyogen and Gyokuko, uh, Kyogen's wife, uh, fellow advocate there somewhere, because they were in the conversations, they could trust that it was safe with these evangelicals. And I remember one event where we had it on Multnomah's campus, and I alluded to it, uh, just the other day in class, there was a trauma factor for those who had come out of an evangelical Christian background, not that they had anything against those of us who were evangelical at the tables with them or Moma. They didn't have a, per se, an experience with the school or with us. But just the associations, just, just the connotations, just the memories, recollections from even family conversations and how they had felt rejected from family when all that they were Buddhists, uh, or that they were gay or lesbian, and, and one individual uh, whose father had become an evangelical Christian and uh, had, in a sense, um, he put across a rejection of of this um, of this person when the father uh, engaged after becoming evangelical, uh, and yet had a different take on evangelicals in the midst of all these conversations, in the midst of all the differences that separate us. And not hiding from them and holding dearly to them, I said to the person, I said, well, why do you feel differently about this? You've been with us for a year through these potlucks and these conversations, hard conversations that they were. Why do you feel different about us? Because we may hold to the very same beliefs and convictions that your father does. And the person said, well, you're inquisitive. And you know, I've often contrasted since then, it's one thing to be inquisitive, it's another thing to be inquisitional. And I think that, you know, for us, just like Phil was going to humanize people, and it's not to demonize people, but to humanize them. These aren't isms or ifs, you know, like evangelicalism or Buddhism. These are people inhabiting these isms. And we have to 
move case by case and not through generalizations. And even what I'm saying can sound like a soundbite, but really one has to enter into these dialogues to know that these are simply reflective of the kind of hard practice reflecting heartfelt intentionality that we need to press in because our own traditions are at stake and so too is the common good at stake um, in, in terms of uh, these particular matters of culture wars. And we're seeing that live and well in our global setting today. Yeah. Over the course of your relationship over the years, have there been times when something just struck you? You learned something new about either Buddhism or evangelicalism or Buddhists or evangelicals, the, the people or the systems themselves that struck you that you don't think you would have picked up if it wasn't for the relationships? I think for me, um, it was uh, understanding that, that something that I've, I could not see how could, these two positions could be hold or these two things could be true at the same time. Uh, and those two things are that um, that Paul and, and, and serious evangelicals really take this to be true that um, th there is no salvation except through Jesus and that those of us who don't follow through that particular doorway are lost in some way and yet... Um, they can can still at the same time be uh, open, loving, caring, and non-judgmental about it. Mm. Um, uh, so uh, that's those two things didn't seem to really coexist um, in in my experience. But I think, see, I had this intuition before that there are uh, less strident voices near the center of these divides that don't stand out. You have to make some effort to uh, contact them and to create a space in which these uh, more moderate voices on both sides can meet each other. It's like the forum is just dominated by these bullhorns. So uh, to create the space in which this more reasonable encounter can take place is something that's worth making the effort to do. So, um, yeah, I, I learned a lot about that. And, uh, and it's one of the things I puzzle over about this. I think of it as the, the immovable object. Uh, in the room, uh, that will not go around. That will not yield. It's just, it's just there. It's not a metaphor. It's there, and that's you know, okay. That's the way it is. <laughs> and uh, when I accept that that's the case that with my friends, then I can, um, I can move around it. I mean, I, I mean, I can accept it. I don't know whether moving around is the right word, but uh, it's part of the equation. It's part of who Paul is, and okay. Yeah, interesting uh, insight there, Paul. What about for you? Uh, further to what Kilgan was saying with the immovable object, we did, we did an event at uh, Powell's in Portland related to a book, Connecting Christ, that I had written, How to Discuss Jesus in the World of the Verse Paths. And Kilgan, you know, has uh, shaped even some of my thinking of how to engage uh, more constructively, not simply truthfully, as we as evangelicals would always be, you know, from my vantage rightly concerned for, but also meaningfully. So those discussions, even though there was only one chapter on Buddhism and the response offered by Kogan, uh, nonetheless, our conversations have shaped the book in total, and we've even been working on other writing projects together. But uh, that being said, you know, what Kogan just said a, a minute ago about accepting, our, uh, accepting this reality that for evangelicals there's a, this immovable object, and a policy said that, he said, there's this immovable object, and for us as, as Buddhists, then Buddhists, it's more, and please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, in my language, but 
it's before the process, the critical process of inquiry, of, of the reflection upon, rather than somehow a fixed object that we reflect upon, that really makes up the heart of Zen Buddhism. But for these evangelicals, there was this immovable object. One um, Christian in the audience of Paul's book said, Evan Carlson, what is this immovable object? And, and he said, the Gospel of John, because in our dialogue, we were reading from one another's literature, and they were reading uh, John and C.S. Lewis and, and others, and, and we were reading other texts. And, uh, and he said, the Gospel of John, and then he asked me, well, Paul, why didn't you comment, because there's more your uh, area. And then I had said, well, you know, it's, it's Jesus Christ, and that's the immovable object revealed in this, so it's a life-giving personal reality. And what I love about Tilden um, and how he engages in this regard, and it'll relate to the other points I was going to make of what I've learned, is that he never has, and I think it's in part because of his kind of Buddhist practices, he's never imposed on me his trajectory and said, well, you really mean this even though you're saying that. You really mean this when you're saying that. And some, even very thoughtful, bright, uh, ironic people have said, even in these dialogues, other Buddhists, for example, uh, well, we're really saying the same thing. And I don't like that um, when, I mean, it's, if we're saying the same thing, that's fine, but we're talking about major differences about the identity of uh Shakyamuni or Shakyamuni and the identity of Jesus Christ from our respective traditions, whatever you want to say on this, we're not saying the same thing in terms of some of these issues, some of these key issues. And Kilgan has never said, though he disagrees with me, he's never said, well, what you really need to say, Paul, is this. Because I feel like that kind of uh, corrals me in a way. It doesn't allow me to speak from my own perspective, right or wrong that I may be. And so I, I think in part it's because it's a He's trying to understand it's the process of inquiry, allowing the other to set forth in a non-objectifying, non-judgmental sense. And, and that leads me to talk about what I've learned in the context of even once when we were having one of the dialogues at the Buddhist temple, President Bush's policies were uh, of great consternation to some of the Buddhists, and, and uh, whatever one might have thought about the particular views, I just felt like I just didn't see that as part of the discussion that night. We were there to talk about our particular religious tradition, not so much this particular president or that. And Tilgan actually challenged the parishioner to deal with what I'll call the, the plank in one's own eye before taking out the speck in the others. He didn't use that language, but it was like, I saw their commonality in terms of what it reminded me of Jesus' words about what I'll say remove the plank or the redwood forest from my own eye before I take the toothpick out of someone else's eye. And I've always found the way that they've cultivated their practices in Dharma Rain Zen Center that there's this desire that I think is instilled through the leadership to really move beyond our objectification that we also fall place to, to really try and hear the other on their own terms. And that's difficult. That's hard for me to do. But I have learned that more from children. While I see that in the Bible, I've really seen it practiced in the Christian tradition, including myself, and Kilgan taught me that more and more so. Related to that is the non-grasping way of Buddhism. Um, while we approach ultimate reality very differently, I did a birthday reflection at Tapio's uh, about non-grasping ways, because I feel it's so easy for me to grasp. 
capture light, the noise to try and seize rather than receive. And, uh, you know, key to Buddhism and the, the noble truth and the like is to move beyond the sense of grasping. And while how we approach that in Zen Buddhists and evangelical Christians respectively is very different, yet I still see that I have such a long way to go. And sometimes these dialogues, and many times these dialogues with Sylvian and other Buddhists, help me to reflect back on my own tradition, to draw from my own tradition rather than my kind of impulses and my carnal reality. So sometimes I learn more about my own tradition, in other words, through Buddhists from their own a particular approach to these matters, which is really key in allowing each to speak from their own vantage point in a way that sheds light from the differences on what we might even have in common through the differences. One final question for you gentlemen, and that is uh, take a few moments and say something to your own religious communities. What would you say to them as a result of what you've learned over the years through your relationship about the value of these honest, non-compromising, and yet respectful and civil and diplomatic conversations, this way of what we're calling religious diplomacy? Why would you encourage members of your own religious communities to be involved in it and to do what you folks are doing. Kyogen, let's start with you. Well, one thing that uh, I have found myself doing on a number of occasions, um, and particularly when I've been asked to speak at uh, some uh, peace rally, let's say, um, and I will say to people, um, it is an illusion to think that you can uh, create peace in the world if you can't create peace with your neighbor. That, um, that trying to there's a saying in the anti-war movement that um, uh, that winning a war is um, an illusion. And I'd say that the same thing is true about the culture wars. You can't win it. What you need to do is just stop it. So um, to, and to do that, you really need to reach out and understand your neighbor. And, um, and let's, if, we, if we can do that with each other, we have some hope of being uh, workers for peace and harmony beyond what's right next to us. So that's what I do to challenge people to really take up the effort to um, to understand what's close and what's um, what's tearing the country apart sometimes, and uh, to be an advocate for um, for healing that instead of uh, using it to rally people to your own side in opposition to what they perceive as uh, this this uh, other that's that's a danger. Good words. Uh, Paul, what would you say to the evangelical tribe? Well, there are several things. Uh, you can cut me off when you need to, John. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, and just from the vantage point, it's what comes to mind is all I'm saying. Uh, there are several things that come to mind. And, uh, you know, I think there are different trajectories of evangelicalism. As with any movement, there's a lot of diversity, and, and one cannot say it's just one stream. There are many streams even within evangelicalism. I think the more conservative evangelicals, and I, you know, depending on what one means by it, and I consider myself an orthodox conservative evangelical, if I mean fundamentals of the faith, I hold to the fundamentals of the faith. But I don't want to be fundamentalistic in my cultural engagement. I want to be open and, and, and ironic while holding firmly the biblical convictions. But for those more in the stream of thought of conservative evangelicalism, there's often this concern, and a good concern, that we don't want to compromise. We don't want to compromise. So if I enter into these conversations with people of other religions, it's going to involve compromise because that's just the way that works itself out. And I think that doesn't have to be the case. One can hold firmly to one's convictions with passion and with heartfelt intent while still engaging one's neighbor well. 
and, and one's religiously diverse neighbor well. On the flip side, on the other side of the spectrum, there are some more liberal-minded evangelicals who maybe don't care so much about the doctrinal particulars, which I would find very misguided, um, and who are willing to sacrifice those things for engagement. I think that leads to boredom. I mean, I just have to say that. I, I, I feel that there's so much that's lost in that, even for a good, healthy exchange. They're right for their concern for civility. They're right for their concern for being ironic, which more conservative evangelicals can easily lose sight of and often do. But we have to live in that tension. And I think so often we sacrifice the tension of conviction and compassion that we go one way or the other. And I think that what we've learned and what we're learning is that doesn't have to happen. I, I think in my own community, you know, I have to say that, you know, we have to be on guard that we're not in the bait and switch. That the only reason why I'm into these conversations is I can lead the Buddhists to Christ. While I long to see, and, and the summer rings then for me, you know, I'm an evangelical in every sense of that word. I long to see everyone come to know Jesus Christ personally by faith. I don't hide that. And they share their convictions strongly with me. I welcome that kind of exchange. But I think that we have to move beyond, as evangelicals, the kind of reductionistic orientation where we're really there only to see people come to Christ. And I think the Great Commission, I don't think it, I believe it with all my heart, it flows from the Great Commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love my neighbors, myself. And I shouldn't be about bait and switch, or I'm only there to lead someone to Christ, because I don't think that's love if I'm just simply there to engage them as a means to an end. And the Buddhists were often in these exchanges, wary, wondering when the shoe would drop, when the door would be locked, and, you know, closed from the outside, and, and they'd be forced to have to deal with our Christian claims and not let out the door until they converted. And the trust that's lost when that happens, rather than built, uh, is, is, is very damaging. And so I think listening is a form of love um, and great commission flowing out of the great commandment. And this conviction and compassion in relationship, not just with hospitality, but neighborliness, that we invite one another in to engage one another life on life, that's critically important for our communities, and it's critically important in our society as a whole, globally even. Uh, especially these days, I think this is more and more important. Uh, I think we've covered a, a lot of ground here. Do you folks uh, have any last comments or anything else that uh, didn't get out through the course of my questioning? Mm, not that I can think of. I think uh, we've covered it pretty well, actually. Well, good. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you both. Uh, you both have very busy schedules. And uh, I appreciate uh, your working with me to, to schedule this time to come together. And I really appreciate your relationship, my relationship with you, and your ongoing work in religious diplomacy. John, well, thank you. I didn't want to, as Evan Job has always liked to have the last word, <laughs> I, was, I was hoping at least to share a, a further word, not sure. a last word. Sure, yeah, go ahead. Children and I have talked about this, and I've talked with you about it, John, as well. And I, I hope this would be uh, something that we continue to foster in FRD and uh, our own exchanges here in Portland as well as beyond. But I really do hope other communities, we can work with other religious communities like to, to foster this um, kind of um, series of practices. Uh, and so I'm always open to doing that. I think that uh, there's a lot here. We have a lot to learn. But I think the kind of exchanges we've been about, uh, I think along with others, 
it would be great to deal with these matters with Muslims and uh, people of other religious traditions uh, because uh, the culture wars, you can never win, as Kogan has so well put it, but we can stop them. How do we stop them except by way of hospitality and neighborliness, bringing the best of our respective traditions to bear on these wars so that we can stop uh, vitriolic exchanges? So that, that would be my desire as a good evangelist for the FRD cause. So. <laughs> well, thank you again. Uh, that's a, a great uh, great set of comments to end our conversation with. And again, uh, Paul and Kyogen, thank you so much. I appreciate everything you do. All right. My pleasure. <laughs>